I, um, I really want to actually take a moment to thank Leon, particularly. Um, some people here have been friends for a long time, but Leon has been a friend to Mark and I in ministry for 20 years and such an encouragement to us. And his leadership is extraordinary. You know that already. And you know he's a fun guy. But he really has been a friend who has stuck through thick and thin. And he has shared some really tough times with us and shared some fantastic times as well. So I think it's, I feel like really privileged to be here, if I'm honest today. It's fantastic. And so we're going to talk really on something which kind of is linked to that, which is about staying the distance. It's about keep, keeping on, keeping on. It's keeping going. And I know you've just had this amazing series about attitudes. And in some ways, this kind of is kind of following on from that, because it's about choosing to continue, choosing to persevere, choosing to keep going. And I've kind of called this talk, um, Knocked Down But Not Knocked Out, because I think, you know, most of us, as we've already heard this morning in the worship, have experienced times, maybe we are going through it now, where we get knocked down, but actually, it's about not being knocked out, about saying, I will choose to keep going. I will follow, even when it's tough. I'll keep loving, even though it's really challenging. I'll keep going. So I thought I'd kind of demonstrate that by asking you a question right at the start. This is important. I need your feedback. I'm a speaker who likes feedback. So I would love to know, what is your favorite children's book? Deep theological question, obviously, to start with. Um, what is your favorite children's book? Do we have any favorites out here? Do any of you read? No? So, the Hobbit. That's quite advanced, Leon. <laughs> what, what, we've got any other favorite? Hungry Caterpillar fans? Famous Five? Yeah. The Gruffalo, excellent choice. That is a really good one. Do what? Guess how much I love you. That actually makes me cry. That is a really lovely book. There's a book in recent years I've read, and I don't know whether any of you have heard of it. It's called Going on a Bear Hunt. Have you? Clearly, I've tapped into something here. That's excellent. Found my niche here in Hale Zoen. Excellent. It's a great book. So you can join in with me now as we share a few deep and profound words of Scripture from going on a bear hunt. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh-oh, a river, a deep, cold river. We can't go over it, can't go under it. We've got to go through it. I mean, round of applause for yourselves here right now. This is excellent. Particularly this group over here, I have to say. Don't know what's going on there. I love this book because really it is life coaching for children, isn't it? It really is. But also, actually, I think it's really good advice for us as adults as well. And we're probably all at different stages of our spiritual journey as, as Christians or maybe just seeking out about Christianity here today. But we probably all know that living life can be an adventure, but sometimes we are going to be on one of those situations where we're going to face things. We're like, my gosh, can't go under it, can't go over it. Apparently, I've got to go through it. And as disciples, often we're called to step out of our comfort zones. I honestly think that comfortable Christianity is a completely man-made invention. It's supposed to be about taking steps of faith, taking out from our comfort zone, and being in a place where we can only trust God. It's not easy. Stepping out in faith takes courage. Actually, building strong relationships takes a huge amount of perseverance, doesn't it? And then every now and then, we will face an obstacle. We'll come against a challenge. We'll face a river. And we've got to decide how we're going to get through it. And we're going to think about that a bit today. 
So I remember a few years ago where I kind of faced my own going on a bear hunt situation, a bit different but similar. I was on holiday in Wales and my family and I, we go on holiday to Wales a lot. We know this particular place very, very well. And we were walking in South Wales. You know you can walk along the ridge of a mountain. So you've got like the valleys either side of you. We're walking along the ridge of one of these mountains. And my husband's walking with my youngest daughter, Isabel, and I'm walking with my older daughter, Naomi. They're both teenagers at that time. They're older than that now. I know it's impossible to believe, but it's absolutely true. But I'm walking along with Naomi. You be quiet. Um, we're walking along and my daughter Naomi begins to open up about some stuff going on in her life. Now you'll know if you have, if you own a teenager or if you've ever worked with a teenager or in fact if you've even just been a teenager, you'll know it's a very rare thing that teenagers start to talk and one must maximise the opportunity, usually late at night or at a very inconvenient moment, but at this point we're walking along a mountain ridge. She begins to share stuff going on and I'm like, Naomi, tell me more. So I leave Mark, you know, wandering off into the distance with Isabel, and I kind of slow up, and I'm, I've got my Tesco's bag with my lunch in it, and we're just strolling nice and slowly, and she starts to tell me some stuff going on in her life, and it was a beautiful moment. Soon, though, we got to the end of this track, and we got to the final field before we got to where our car was parked, and it was one of those moments where we were stepping over the stile, you know, one of those fences into the field, and we suddenly realised we were in a bit of a pickle, because this field was absolutely jam-packed full of this massive herd of cows, and they were all facing us, and they were looking pretty scary, I'm not going to lie. So my daughter says to me, there's no way in a million years we are walking through that field, and I'm like, babe, we can't go over it, we can't go under it, apparently we've got to go through it. And she's like, no, we're not doing this, there's no way we're going past those cows. And I said, Naomi, I have watched Country File, I know what I'm doing, we're going to be fine. So I, with completely false confidence, say to her, we're just going to step over the stile, we're going to walk confidently and calmly along the side, along the wall, and we'll be absolutely fine. So that's what we do. We get over and we start walking, and then the worst possible scenario begins to happen. This herd of cows walks along parallel, along its tracking us every step of the way, led, I need to let you know, by a particularly evil-looking chief cow. She was kind of like head of the herd. So she's kind of leading this herd along, and it's pretty scary, but then halfway through the field, chief cow turns to face us. Uh-oh. And the whole herd then turns to face us behind her, and then chief cow starts to run. I had no idea cows could run this fast. It's like Mo Farah. Unbelievable. So I look at Naomi. Naomi looks at me. I'm like, what would they do on Country File? I've got absolutely no idea. And Naomi shouts without a word of a lie. She starts to scream, I'm too young to die. I'm like, oh. So I look at the wall behind me, too big to scale. So I say, just run and scream. So we're running, we're screaming, we're clapping. We're kind of like literally legging it across the field. We get to the end. We leapfrog the kind of style at the other end, and we collapse in a pile on the floor in front of my husband and Izzy, and the cows, bless their hearts, just go back and munch on some grass as if nothing has ever happened. Now, at this point, I'm sat, well, we're kind of prostrate on the floor, and the farmer's wife comes down the hill, and we know the farmer's wife quite well. Her name's Anne, and she comes down the hill, bless her, and she looks at us, and she goes, oh, there's lovely you having a nice little rest, are you? Enjoying the countryside today? And I said, no, Anne, we are not 
taking a little rest. What we are doing right now is recovering, having escaped near death from your psychopathic cows. And she said, oh, no, 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 you got that absolutely wrong. You've got this completely wrong. I know exactly what's happened. What's happened is the cows, they've heard your little bag rustling, and they thought you had a bag of Werther's Originals. <laughs> they love Werther's. And every day, my, my brother comes down with his bag of Werther's. So actually, when they heard the bag, they just thought you had some Werther's Originals. At this point, I'm like, you are having a laugh. I said, are you seriously telling me that the look on that chief cow's face was nothing more than a yearning for a buttery, smooth, boiled sweet? Is that what you are telling me? So at this point, I look over at my husband. He is not a man who is prone to emotion. He's quite a level kind of guy. But Mark is rocking backwards and forwards with laughter, genuinely falling about with laughter. And then he says to me, oh, yes, Kathy, they're really scary cows. They are, aren't they? And I'm like, you, sunshine, are better shut up. Otherwise, you're going to have a scary cow right here, right now. This is not going to end well. Not well at all. It was a tough time. But the truth is, genuinely, that journey was terrifying. It really was. It was very, very scary because all we could see was what we could see. We didn't know the bigger picture. We didn't know the crucial fact that there were some worthers that might have changed everything. We weren't aware of that. And sometimes when we face these fields, when we face situations and challenges, you know, there can be one fact more that could just like change our entire perspective, actually, things that we don't know about. And it is only sometimes when we get to the end of that field, and we've got through it, that we look back and we go, oh my gosh, I learned something really valuable there. I'll know how to get through that field next time. I shall scatter Werther's originals as I go through. But whatever it is, whatever field it is we've come through, we'll learn and we'll go, yeah, you know what? Next time I face that field, I'm going to be okay. Now, in this room, I don't know any of you really, but I'm pretty sure there will be all kinds of challenges that you have faced or that you will face. And if you are a person at the moment whose life is utterly glorious, and you just wake up thinking of unicorns and lollipops and rainbows, then that's marvelous. But actually, all of us at some point will go through tough seasons, won't we? Perhaps you're facing something right now, and you're thinking, I'd love to go over it. I'd love to fast forward this. I'd love to not have to go through this. Or maybe God is asking you to step out into an unknown territory, to try something new, to kind of step out of your comfort zone into something that looks a bit scary and you're feeling vulnerable and you're not quite sure if your faith is going to kind of trump your fear because it is a really challenging situation. We've got to keep going. Maybe you're halfway through a field and it is kind of tough and you, you, don't, you can't turn back, but actually getting to the end looks like a lot of perseverance is going to be required. If that's any of you today, I'd love to share with you some verses in a minute from 2 Corinthians 4 that have been a huge encouragement to me. And I just hope that there'll be an encouragement to somebody here today as well. But before we read these verses together, I just want to say a couple of things about Paul who is writing them. You will know this, many of you, but Paul is writing to this church in Corinth in, in Greece at quite a difficult time. Paul is not writing these words on a beach sipping a pina colada. It's tough 
He has suffered. He has really been through some tough times himself, and he still is. And he's writing to this church that he loves, this church that had come to faith through him. It's a very influential city. There's a lot going on, but it's a city with a, a lot of cultures, a lot of dubious model, uh, morals, and he loves this church, and he's worried about them. Why is he worried about them? He's worried because some people have turned up, and they're preaching a slightly adapted gospel. And more than that, they are kind of dazzling. They've got a dazzling ministry. They're well-funded. They're well-resourced. They've got, they seem to have power. They've got energy. They've got it all going on. You know, they really are dazzling. They are fantastically exciting for this church, kind of showbiz ministry. And as well as twisting the gospel slightly, what they're doing is calling Paul's credibility into question. They're saying, well, you know what, Paul, that guy who's a bit physically, you know, not that strong and he's not that eloquent, well, actually, how can he be the person to share the gospel with you? How can, look at us. We're fabulous. Now, Paul calls these people, and if you read the, the passage, he calls these people, and you can hear the irony dripping from his pen as he writes this. He calls them the super apostles. You know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, the super apostles. You know, he's calling them this because, actually, he can see how dazzling they are, and he knows he's not. And sometimes we forget this. We think that Paul is kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger's strength combined with Michael McIntyre's wit, but that's not how Paul describes himself at all, actually. He describes himself as weak and frail and as a person who struggles to make himself eloquent. He's aware of his frailty. So I guess I just want to ask, is there anyone here today who feels all too aware of their own frailty? Who knows that they're just embarrassingly ordinary, not a super apostle at all? Or maybe you feel like, actually, you can completely resonate with that thing where your credibility has been undermined, where actually you've been undermined, you've been misunderstood. Perhaps your ministry or the thing that you're involved with somewhere is not as successful or hasn't flourished in the way that you'd hoped it would be. Or worse still, you've seen the hard work that you have put into place being messed up by somebody else. Perhaps you're someone here with some physical limitations or some confidence limitations and you know that everything you do, you do through your vulnerability. If that is any of those things kind of connects with you at all, then you're in excellent company because that is exactly how Paul was feeling when he wrote these amazing words in 2 Corinthians. So I've got 2 Corinthians 4 and it's from verse 7. They're going to come up on the screen now. And these are some of my favorite verses, and uh, maybe some of you know them already, but it's worth us really like spotting a few things about these verses as we look at them this morning. So it says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus might also be revealed in our body. We're going to skip down to verse 16, where it says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Do you love that? Some of you here today, that's all you need to hear. 
Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, yes, we are wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Oh, my word. What amazing verses. There is strength in weakness. There is treasure in our jars of clay. Verse 9, that verse that says, struck down but not destroyed. Another version of that is knocked down but not knocked out, which is why I just that really captivated me. Or the amplified Madhavan message version, my own version of this verse is... We are like weebles. We wobble, but we do not fall down. Is there anyone old enough to know what I'm talking about right here? Sorry, young people. Just Google it. <laughs> weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Anyway, I just did that out loud. Yeah. yeah. Didn't do that the first service, did I? No. There are challenges that we, we do all face. And, we, and actually, many things do have the power to knock us knock us down. But that does not mean that we have to be knocked out. You know what knocked out looks like? Being knocked out looks like giving up. It looks like getting bitter. It looks like blaming other people. And, and it looks like when we stop trusting God. And that's why Paul says in the, this absolute cornerstone moment of this chapter, do not lose heart. We do not lose heart because we can keep trusting even in the difficult times. Now, like I've said, I, I don't know what difficult stuff you've been through or you're going through, but like all of us, I know I've been through my shares of ups and downs in life, and there's so many things I could tell you about, but the one I thought I'd share with you a little bit this morning is something that my husband and I have been through together. When Mark was about 26 and I was about 22, we were in London. He was at London Bible College, as it was then, training for ministry. And we went for what we thought was a very ordinary, normal appointment, an eye appointment um, at the local clinic in London. And the consultant that saw Mark said, do you know what the issue is with your eyes? And my husband said, well, I'm short-sighted, but I don't seem to see so well at nighttime, but no biggie. And the consultant said, I think you better wait here for a moment. And he left the room. And he came back a few moments later with another consultant and a social worker who had a guide dog. And being, you know, fairly discerning, we realized that we were probably about to receive some life-changing news. And we did. That consultant explained to Mark that he has got um, a hereditary degenerative condition called retinitis pigmentosa. And that he would lose all of his eyesight, probably quite young. In fact, he was registered partially sighted on that day. He lost his driving license on that day, age 26. That was a blow. And then in a couple of years, he was registered blind officially, and he has continued to lose his eyesight. So he's probably got about 2 or 3% left now, but he would only be able to see a tiny bit in, in bright light. He wouldn't see anything at all in here. And I'm just, I guess, going to be a little bit honest with you and say that it sucks you know, it's really rough. It's really hard. Not at all the fairy tale I planned for my life. Anybody here resonate with that? This was not, oh yes, you and I, let's chat. Um, you know, this happens, doesn't it? Sometimes, sometimes we get one of those curveballs. 
a redundancy, a miscarriage, a disappointment, a broken relationship. I don't know what, you know, but there's many things, isn't there, where suddenly we go, oh, gosh, the future that I planned suddenly has taken on a very, very different different angle, and it has been tough. I didn't imagine for a moment that I'd be married to a man who, you know, couldn't drive, can't do DIY, can't see his own food, can't go to the theater, so many different things that he, he can't do, and I, it's been tough. But if it's hard for me, honestly, that's nothing compared to what it's like for Mark. So frustrating for him to get anything done and not to see his daughters growing up, you know, not to see how beautiful they are, not to ever see a sky full of stars. To go out sometimes, obviously he's got a white stick, and people will come up if they're speaking to him and talk to him as if he is totally stupid, when he is one of the most intelligent men I've ever met. In fact, that's if we're lucky. Often they'll talk to me about him as if he's invisible. Why would we do that to disabled people? Interesting thought to consider. It's really, really tough. On the bright side, I have to tell you, I tell him that I look like Kylie Minogue. And um, <laughs> I'm spinning around. But uh, does the house need vacuuming? Not at all, darling. It's absolutely spotless. Every cloud, all of that. But seriously, life can be very challenging. And I really want to say it's not a pain competition here because some of you will be going through, you know, other things that are just as... Some of you, frankly, have gone through things that make my life look like a picnic. Let's just really be honest about that. All of us face different challenges at different times. And, and, and perhaps we resonate with Paul in different ways. It might be about rejection. It might be about physical limitations. It might be frustration. It might be your family. It, who, all of us face storms. It's what we do in those storms. It's how we respond respond to those storms that really makes the difference. And I think this passage has been helpful to me in that because one of the things that I think we can default to if we're not careful as we face these storms, the first danger that maybe we might default into is just pure denial. We might just want not people to know that there's this stuff going on in our interior. We don't want people to know that our jar is cracked. We are all cracked pots at the end of the day, but we know we don't want anyone to know that. So we're like, my jar is fine. In fact, my jar's not fine. My jar is fabulous. Instagram, my jar. Look at my jar. My life is great. Everything is great. Don't ask me difficult questions. Everything is fine. No cracks to see here. Perhaps we think if we admit our problems to ourselves even, or maybe to other people or to God, that somehow we're failing as Christians. Perhaps we've been told, and we've had a bucket load of this over the years, perhaps we've been told that our faith isn't strong enough if we haven't been healed or if things haven't worked out. How we asked, you know, asked God, we pray for things and it hasn't happened. And we know that God can break in and we know that sometimes he does break in, but he hasn't with us. So we walk around with guilt and shame and doubt about God somehow, and that can be crippling. So it's better just to not let people know what's going on inside our jars. But here's the thing that I, I am so encouraged as I read this press passage, is that we are not called to some crazy life of success where we impress each other with our jars. We're called to a life of surrender that points to people, points people to Jesus. And Paul makes this very clear. He says, the all-surpassing power belongs to God, and not to us. And Paul says here, you know what? If, or if my weakness points people to the strength of God, then fantastic. 
That's what I want. I don't want people to be pointed to me and my jar. I want people to be pointed to the treasure that is Christ, to the hope of glory. I will boast in him, not in my strength, because we're fragile. The hope we have is Christ in us. A few years ago, someone shared with me a wonderful picture. I've got a, uh, it's a piece of kintsugi art. You've probably heard of it. But it's when Japanese artists take a vessel or a pot or a plate that has just been damaged as part of its, you know, getting knocked and bruised as part of its life. And we all get knocked and bruised as part of life. But what these artists do is they take these pieces of whatever these vessels are and they fix them, but not just with normal glue. They actually have adhesive with gold in them. And the incredible thing about this is that when you look at a jar like this, not only is it as useful as it has ever been, but it is also more beautiful than it's ever been. And it's way more valuable than it has ever been before. And sometimes we try and hide our scars and we try and hide our cracks, but that's the very place where God is mending us, where the Holy Spirit is doing wonderful things in us and where we can point to God's grace in our life. We don't need to hide the truth about this stuff. Someone said to me years ago, and I say this all the time now, your mess is often your message. You know, where God is mending you is often the place where he'll use you in the restoration of others. And I honestly believe this. I don't think the world needs a whole bunch of super apostles dazzling people with their fabulousness. I think what God really needs is a bunch of authentic, vulnerable, real, honest people who know, as Leon said earlier, that God is good even when life is challenging. And I believe this to my toes, that living a victorious life is not having a life where everything is perfect. I believe living a victorious Christian life is saying, it is well with my soul, even when life is really tough. But for some of us here, it's not so much about denial some of us, when we think about the challenges that we might be facing, it's about choosing to not live in despair. There's a great verse in Acts 2 that talks about pitching our tent in the land of hope. Pitching our tent in the land of hope. Lovely verse. Now, I'll really, you know, level with you. I have sometimes pitched my tent in the land of disappointment. I've pitched it in the land of jealousy. I've pitched it in the tent of insecurity. I've pitched it in all kinds of places where I shouldn't be dwelling, but where I've set up camp far too long. And I think Paul is saying in this passage, we do have a choice about what perspective we choose. And, and you, maybe you noticed this earlier. We're going to look at it again now. There are some deliberate contrasts in this passage, different couplets. Did you notice this? Now, the obvious one is the treasure in jars of clay. And treasure is, diamonds are, as you know, extremely strong. If you want more facts than you ever knew you needed about diamonds, I can recommend an excellent book. Might just be out there. But diamonds are the most, most tough material on earth, the toughest natural material on earth. And Paul is contrasting that with the fragile jars because God is really strong even when we're not. But there are lots of other contrasts in there as well. Did you notice this? It talks about death in our body, but Jesus' life in our body. What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We're wasting away on the 
outside, but we're being renewed on the inside. These light momentary troubles are contrasted with an eternal weight of glory. And what I love about these different contrasts that Paul is making here is that it's, it's not just an equal balance. One does not neutralize the other. Did you notice this? God's grace always outweighs our mess. God's grace is always bigger. So at death in our body, but life eternal with Jesus. God's grace is bigger than all of those things. And our temptation always, actually, is to focus on the struggles and the strain and the stress, of course. And I'm not saying we should deny that they're there or pretend it's not happening. That's not what I'm saying. But we can, if we're really strong and if we persevere, if we're not going to get knocked out, we can choose to look at God and his strength and his grace, which is more than we need. I often say to myself and to my friends, every time we face a difficulty, this is an opportunity It's an opportunity to see that God's grace is more than sufficient for us. In this situation, it is more than sufficient. So what do you focus on? Do you focus on, do you kind of ruminate over, do you dwell in the tough stuff and the challenges and what people have done to you and the disappointment and the unfairness? Or actually, can you focus on what Jesus has done for you and will do for you? Do you focus on the things that you don't have and you wish you could do, or do you focus on the things that you do have and that you can do? Now, Mark and I have to choose to do this very, very deliberately. I could give you a huge long list of things that we can no longer do because of Mark's eyesight, but there is stuff he can still do. He actually leads a fantastic church. He's overseeing a five million pound building project. He jumped out of a plane last year. He's a nutter. But you don't have to see much, do you, to fall? It's kind of, you know, especially when you're strapped to a commando, which has its appeal. I'm not going to lie. Anyway, just saying. Um, he is blind. He is blind, but actually he's a man with incredible vision. He really is. And this isn't about, I'm not saying, by the way, just think happy thoughts just stay positive. It's actually about what you've been learning these last few weeks. That is about renewing our minds with the truth of God that he still loves us, he still has a plan for us, and he's still good. And that helps us to build a resilient faith that will keep going whatever we face. I've learned quite a lot about resilience from my oldest daughter, who I mentioned earlier. Naomi has always been extremely resilient. I'm using the word resilient because I'm a mother and I love her, but actually other people might call it stubborn. That's another word that we might use for resilient. Since she was very tiny, she's always had this kind of resilient streak in her, definitely been my challenging child. But I remember a few years ago, we were on a journey across the UK and we stopped at one of those, you know the service stations where you buy high fat, high price food and you kind of like eat it together. We were there and she ordered a burger and chips and sat down and began to open up all these salt sachets of extra salt to sprinkle over her chips. And because I'm an extraordinary mother, I said to her, darling, 
I think you'll find that there's already the Dead Sea's amount of salt on those chips, and in fact, they require no more salt. And because she's a teenager and she was extremely resilient, she decided to keep undoing these sachets of salt and sprinkled them all over her chips. And then, bless her heart, every chip she picked up, she put in her mouth and gagged. Each time she put one in her mouth, put another one in her mouth, but she kept going because she's resilient, kept going until every single chip on her plate was gone. It was about an hour later, we were back in the car, and Naomi says to me, Mom, I'm not feeling very well. And because I'm such an extraordinary mother, I put on my smug face. And I said to her, oh, really, darling? Why do you think that might be then? And at that point, she revealed to me that, in fact, she had accidentally picked up sachets of sugar. <laughs> and she had opened multiple sachets of sugar and sprinkled them all over her chips. But because she's so resilient, she just kept going until every single last one was gone. She is resilient. It's also her biggest strength. This girl will keep on going. She really, really will. Now, we all know that there is a kind of stubbornness that leaves a bad taste in the mouth, as it were. That's for sure. But I also believe that there is a holy tenacity. There is a divine determination that will keep us going whatever we face. We say, you know, this burden is heavy. This challenge is great. This opportunity is huge, but I'm scared. But I know that the grace of God and the love of God and the strength of God will outweigh whatever I'm facing. And with God by my side, I can and I will keep going. All of us at some point are going to face a field that looks scary. Some of us are in it right now. You won't be able to go over it. You can't go under it. And you're going to have to go through it. We all need courage, especially if God's asking us to take new ground, step out, or to keep going somewhere. Let's remember what Paul says. Let's focus on what is unseen because it is eternal. Fix our eyes on Jesus, as Hebrew says, and we will not grow weary. And here are those words again. We will not lose heart. God knows exactly what you're facing this morning. He knows exactly what challenges you're facing. And I really believe from the bottom of my heart that what he wants to say to you today is he does not want you to live by fear. He wants you to live by faith. He knows that you have been knocked down but he does not want you to be knocked out. And he has treasure to give you. And you can trust him, you know, no matter how fragile you're feeling, because the all-surpassing power belongs to God and not to you. And you can point to God even, and especially actually, in your weakness. And so we're just going to pray together. We're going to pray for some of that strength, some of that treasure in our jars of clay. So I want you to have a little think. What are the things that you're finding really challenging at the moment? What fields are you facing? What fields are you maybe halfway through? Or maybe if you are not going through something, you know someone who is. Maybe you're just about to step out over a stile into a new bit of ground or territory and you know that God's asked you to do it, but it's gonna take some bravery. I want you to just picture those places where you need God's strength because you know you're fragile or you know that person's fragile. You know you need the power of God. You know you need the strength of God. And I'm going to ask you if you're able to, to stand with me now. 
If you can't stand, that's absolutely fine. Please feel fully included. And we're just gonna pray together. Let's close our eyes and come before God and let's just acknowledge that there is tough stuff going on. It doesn't make you a bad Christian to have tough stuff going on. It makes you a human being. Some of you here right now really resonate with how Paul was feeling in that passage and you feel kind of ordinary. You don't feel that special, that strong. Maybe you've been undermined. Maybe you've had your credibility undermined, your work undone, or you're feeling limited in some way. You really resonate with how Paul was feeling. Do not lose heart. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to draw near. We ask you to draw near, just to reassure us, to fill us with your love, to remind us that you ask us to be faithful because you are faithful. Fill us afresh, God. Fill us afresh. Some of us here today are really carrying some heavy stuff. You've got a relationship that's tough or a ministry that's challenging or an area of your life. Someone is breaking your heart. And you know that you need to be honest and say to God, I am not strong enough for this on my own. I'm fragile. I need you, God. Perhaps this is a day to be honest with someone else and to receive some prayer, but at least to be honest to God in this moment. Draw near, Holy Spirit. Fill us with treasure in these jars of clay. Fill us with your strength and your reassurance and your confidence that Christ in us is the hope of glory. We trust you, God. We trust you. We know that you are good and we will keep going with you at our side. Give it to God. Allow his grace to outweigh whatever it is that you're facing right now. And for those of us who right now know that God is calling us to step out in a new place or in a new way into a next step, and we need courage and we, we're not sure if we can do it, we're not sure. Holy Spirit, draw near. Will you equip? Will you encourage? Will you empower? Will you reassure us, God, that we don't have to have it all because you have it all, that you are more than enough. Where you call us, you will take us and you will equip us. And we choose, God, faith over our fear. We choose faith over fear in this moment because we long to see you move. Holy Spirit, draw near. Every single person here now, we just, God, we choose to pitch our tents in the land of hope. 
to pitch our tents in the place where you can do more than we can possibly ask or imagine. And we ask, God, that you would fill us, you would fill us, every breath in us would be devoted to you. And we would know your grace taking us through every step, every hour, and every day into the good plans that you have for us. Thank you, God, that we are not on our own, that you say that you will always be with us. In Jesus' name.